1: Back to the front three, good to have you guys back this weekend. We're here to cover the three main talking points from the weekend. And a surprise on the podcast this week. We actually have Dave O'Brien. Dave, good to have you back.
2: Thank you. You know, the trip away in France was great fun, but it's great to be back and talking about football.
1: Yeah, and of course, uh the front three wouldn't be a three without uh another third person. Um no Chris this week, no Adam this week, no Nico this week. We have Ewan McTear Ewan, it's lovely to have you on the podcast.
3: Yeah, happy to be the free, the third wheel, the last part of the trio, whatever you want to call me.
1: Yeah, you're um, not. Believe yeah. me, you're no third wheel on this. <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the main. If anything, I'm going to be the third wheeler on this podcast. All right. We'll, um, we'll know by the end who the third wheel is. Yeah, uh, this is a great point. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly how they got rid of Neymar at Barcelona. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it works perfectly. Uh, speaking of Barcelona, actually, let's let's get straight into it. We've got a game of the weekend, and because we've got you on the podcast, we might as well go straight to Spain. You uh, and it was a. Again, which I mean, most people were sort of saying is, is not a formality, but um, it's, it, it, you know, at this point, it's not like Atletico Madrid are going to catch Barcelona and equaling uh, or trying to make sure that they can catch up to them in any way uh, is almost a pointless exercise. But it finished 1 0 between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, and a lot of people celebrating uh, the greatest of all time, is what people are calling him, Lionel Messi, for his 600th goal.
3: Yeah, it wasn't really the title decider, but it was the sort of decider to see if we actually have a title race. Yeah, Um, because if Atlético Madrid had won this one, they would have cut the lead to two points, and that would have been really interesting. But yeah, Lionel Messi did his thing, and now the gap at the top between Barça and Atleti is eight points, and with just eleven games to go, that's yeah, that's kind of it, isn't it?
1: But I mean, it's not as if Barcelona um, are going to sail all the way there, though, is it? I mean, it. We, we can talk about this a little more in, in a second, but it, they have in the past uh, been caught. Teams in the league have been caught.
3: They have, uh, but from this uh, stage in the season, nobody's ever been able to cut a gap this big with so few games left. But then again, nobody thought Atletico Madrid would win the league um, in 2014. Um, Barcelona almost threw it away the next year as well um, when they had a big big lead over Real Madrid, so and if they go far in the Champions League, which obviously Atletico Madrid don't have that sort of distraction, then who knows? Maybe Barcelona will drop a few more points. They have another classical to navigate as well. Um, but the the worst thing, I guess, from Atletico is if you actually look at the fixtures and compare them, the team that has the a, a trickier running is probably Atletico. So um, yeah, there's there's not even scraping the barrel. There's really literally nothing to sort of get an Atletico fans' hopes up after after this result. Well, Dave,
1: one of the key differences pretty much every season uh, recently with Barcelona has been Lionel Messi and he made it to his 600th goal. He's got most of everything pretty much in La Liga is what you were telling me just before the podcast. Um, and the spreadsheet in front of you sort of confirms his influence on the Barcelona game.
2: Yeah, I think you, you know put in an incredible display how... You know, he was sort of drifted around the first sort of ten minutes of the game, but I loved how tactically Barcelona they moved to a sort of four-two-two-two system, where Coutinho was almost playing as a striker and Messi was a little bit deeper. But in terms of those six hundred goals, you know what a player Messi is unbelievable to get that far. Thirty-nine of those six hundred goals came from free kicks, direct free kicks. What an absolute joke! Dani Alves assisting the most of uh, Messi's goals, forty-two goals he assisted. I think you just see from from looking at the players he's played with and the players that have assisted the impacts of Messi um, you know all round you take Atletico Madrid he scored the second most goals against Atletico Madrid against um, Atletico Madrid Sevilla's his favorite target Atletico second Real Madrid in third that shows the quality of Lionel Messi but yes he's scoring hundreds of goals against your Osasunas yes your Spaniards your Getafes but he's doing it against these big big clubs and again the cut inside the movement the free kick It was a fantastic display again from, you know, the best player on the planet right now for me, which is Lionel Messi. Do
1: you you think that there is quite a stark difference, Ewan, between the way that the stars have performed this season for the big three in La Liga? And do you think that that has been the difference as to why Barcelona are top and we see Real Madrid lagging so far behind and Atletico struggling to keep up?
3: Yeah, I think so, because... Griezmann and Ronaldo have maybe had some of the the best individual match performances this season, but Messi's just been doing it all season long. You know, he's not scored that many hat tricks, but he's the number of times he's he's come up with a brace is just just quite ridiculous. And I mean, Griezmann he's had a great last week. He scored um, his hat trick in in Seville and then four mm. against Leganes in midweek. But there was a few months at the start of the season where he was really quiet, and Ronaldo's. Uh, he was quite the same, you know. He had a very quiet autumn, and he's he's burst into life now that it's, uh, you know, he can consider La Liga dress rehearsal for the Champions League. But Messi, he's just been doing it uh, all season long, and that's probably why Barcelona are top because their main man has been just quietly going about his business and coming up with one or two goals or at least an assist basically what? every single match day.
1: In in your mind, though, whilst Messi has been obviously consistent across. All platforms, you could say. Mm-hmm.
3: It,
1: was, it was interesting to see the stark difference between the performances that Ronaldo had in the Champions League and the performances that he was able. Uh, I'm not. Even, I'm, I'm not even saying he sort of displayed a lower ability in La Liga, but the difference in performances for Real Madrid and Ronaldo in La Liga and Champions League. What, why do you think there is that contrast?
3: I think it's something to do with the club. I mean, Real Madrid—they've won two Champions Leagues in a row, and they, I mean, their story is defined by. The Champions League, and mm. I think when you're a Real player, it's hard not to buy into that mentality. I mean, Ronaldo himself, you know, he knows, you know, if he's going to win the Ballon d'Or, he's not going to win it for scoring goals in La Liga against, uh, you know, Deportivo La Coruña or Alaves. He knows he's going to get the Ballon d'Or for scoring against uh, the likes of PSG or even in the group stages, goals against uh, Tottenham or Borussia Dortmund. That's it that's the goals that are going to get him the Ballon d'Or, and and even if he consciously decides he really does want to try in La Liga I think it's sometimes hard to flip that switch when when you sort of just subconsciously uh, live your life for the Champions League as every single Real Madrid player does
1: Yeah that's a very good point of course Dave it's not only
3: Messi at uh, Barcelona as well and
1: obviously the emphasis shifted away uh, for some time uh, from the the idea of Tiki Taka at least that Pep Guardiola had instilled in his team and it became much more focused on the front three of Barcelona but the sh- the shift uh, backwards this season that we've seen and the emphasis more towards midfield um, has definitely served the team better in terms of balance and controlling games as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's a big, big thing for Barcelona. Maybe moving away from the, the 4-3-3 is probably Valverde's best thing that he's done. You know, the 4-4-2 shape with our possession looks like where they're going. I think it gives them that ability to, to pretty much do anything. I think why Luis Enrique's side was so good at the start of his tenure was because they could do it so many different ways. They could counter attack, they could sit deep against you, they could break with that front three, but they were also defensively sound. They could control games. But as the the rain came on, you know, players got lazy. You know, Neymar got lazy to say the least. Stop defending. But what we're seeing under Valverde is this physicality. You know, we're seeing players like Paulinho this season that have done so well. Of course, Paulino didn't play against Atletico, but that's the type of player that. Valverde's getting the best out of you saw so Gomez come on um, for Barcelona yeah he didn't do too much in an attacking sense but like what he did without the ball same with Rakitic Busquets but you know a player that likes to highlight Gerard Piquet. took a bit of a knock through the the start of the second half a knee injury that's been a bit persistent of late but he had a fantastic game really controlled Diego Costa when they had that sort of you know one on one situation and for a player that's had so many phases of hitting the top of being the best centre-half in world football, Gerard Pique, I think this is another season where we're going to see the best from Gerard Pique. And it's because of the system. It's because now Barcelona are defending in numbers, they're defending a little bit deeper, and they're looking to counter-attack that's getting the best out of Gerard Pique.
1: Yeah, certainly it's an interesting one. And then obviously there's the antics of this Barcelona team standing in front of Oblak's view, uh, Ewan, in, uh, in terms of the free kick. What do you make of um, what some people would say skullduggery? In La Liga, um, it, it, is it fine things, fine margins like that that make a difference in these big games?
3: I think it might be. I mean, uh, the, we had the front page of, of Market Today was that sort of Messi's view of that free kick, and it looked it looked absolutely ridiculous. It looked like uh, you know it, they were all sort of jumping about in a bouncy castle, and it just burst. There was you know there was Barcelona <laughs> players falling to falling to their left, Atlético players falling to their right, and. Amongst it all was a ball, and you have to feel for for Oblak because there was really no chance he could have seen what's going on. And there was another report in Spain saying that uh, you know, uh, you know, in Spain they love to analyse every single possible detail of every uh, single match, and they they worked out that the, the the wall was maybe a couple of a couple of feet further back than uh, than was permitted. So maybe maybe that helped a little bit as well, but. Yeah, I mean, Oblak is one of the best goalkeepers in the world and you think, how is he going to get beaten by, by a free kick? But then you also have Lionel Messi, who's just—he's um, probably just as effective with free kicks as he is from the penalty spot because his penalty record isn't actually that great. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at his, his free kicks record, I mean, three in the last week, I mean, that's just, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? Do you think it can be too easy, Ewan? I mean, there is a point where football
1: is just too easy for people and he just sort of thinks, this is ridiculous, I need to miss a few.
3: Yeah, maybe that's it. He's just trying to—he's just trying to liven it up a wee bit, and you know, it'd be too boring if he scored a free kick every week. So yeah. he's got to try and make it look, uh, make it look uh, like uh, an achievement every time he does it. I mean, you wonder what's going through his head when he scores—you know, uh, the umpteen free kick of a season—because everybody's running to him, looking at him as if he's just done something incredible, and it's it's something that he probably does at least once every day in training. So yeah, it would be. Yeah, it'd be quite experienced to just spend a few hours in Messi's head and see what he's thinking when he when he just pulls off the incredible. But he obviously considers it routine.
1: Yeah, it is. It is quite unusual. And obviously, uh, Dave, when you look at the other side, who are far from routine, Atletico Madrid under Simeone. Of you know, they've always been a very consciously uh, proactive side in terms of the way that they play their football. Uh, always very intense, but it was very difficult for Simeone to get Costa and Griezmann into this game. So the the contrast was was quite stark.
2: Yeah, it was really interesting to see the, how well Barcelona linked with Messi, Coutinho, and Suarez in that first half, with, and Iniesta. Let's say Iniesta was brilliant. Played like thirty minutes and was played really well and went off injured. But they linked really well, and that was a completely different to Atletico who Griezmann struggled to get in the game with the ball at his feet defensively it was very good came back a few times in that first half won the ball and got Atletico on the counter but there was no link to Costa There's no link to Griezmann you know, all the balls that were going into his feet up until about 70 minutes they just weren't sticking but it's one of these things that Simeone needs to to, to build again is obviously Diego Costa massive impact in this Atletico uh, team so far I think when since he's joined um, officially the, the win rate with him when he started is around 80% versus 50% when he's not there or 53% when he's not there. But it's about linking a bit better. I think because Barcelona have gone to this 4-4-2, what Simeone could have done was maybe go for a 4-3-3 like he did in the Champions League final to great effect. You know, the final that they lost against Real but arguably should have won, should have had that control. You know, moving to a midfield of
1: Saul, Koke and and Gabi in front of the the back four could have been the way to go to unlock Mm. it. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is interesting because they did have a lot of the ball in the second half.
2: Yeah, I think that's the big thing. They had a lot of ball, but it seemed to break down. You know, Athletico have built this system of where they do pop these passes into their centre forwards, centre all forwards, lay the balls off, and these, um, you know, outside midfielders come inside to become interiors and, and get involved with the play. But it wasn't working because of, you know, the defensive structure of Barcelona. And it was almost like it was throwing like shit against the wall and the shit's not going to go through the wall because you're throwing it against the brick wall in a way. This analogy isn't really working, but at the same point. Because in the end, some shit sticks, yeah. Some shit sticks, yeah. So what you want to do instead of throwing the shit through the wall is maybe throw it round the wall and in terms of a 4-3-3 that could have been it you know Carrera came on and looked very very good Griezmann looked a bit better when he was in a wide position maybe putting Costa up front on his own without having someone like a, a Gamero near him so he can do his own thing and get the ball to feet as much as possible could have been a better option for them but again you know credit to Valverde for how he moved the game on and put the you know, players on at certain times and it was just tactically it was a very interesting game yeah it was a 1-0 but it was a
1: fascinating contest and you and I guess what was even more fascinating at the end probably more so for Barcelona fans and neutrals as I like to call myself um, was the, the happiness of Griezmann uh, around the Barca players um, and it obviously sparked more chat about whether Griezmann could be on his way to Barcelona during this off-season um, what, are your, what are your overall thoughts on that?
3: Yeah I think if, if he is to leave Atletico Madrid which I'm still not convinced he will uh, I think Barcelona is obviously the most logical spot for him even though they already have so many players in in the kind of positions he would play I mean you almost think if they now regret buying Dembele because I think they, they maybe got him last summer because they needed an immediate name or replacement and well he's been so injured that he's hardly played and they might as well have not signed anyone and um, if they can get Griezmann whose release clause should go down to 100 million this summer and um, whether or not Atletico restructure that a little bit to get a bit more out of it but in this current market with Neymar going for 222 million euros that's that's so affordable that's such great value for someone like Griezmann and, and I think the Premier League kind of idea has cooled a little bit so yeah it would, it would make sense it makes sense uh, from Griezmann's point of view from Barcelona's point of view not from Atletico's point of view but if they were to do the whole Release clause. The release clause route, then they don't really get a say. So, um, yeah, Atletico fans will not have been too pleased to see him so smiley at the Camp Nou. But yeah, I think this one's got a long way to go. And if he really does value this partnership he's developing with Costa, then why not stick around for another season and, and see if you can really, you know, squeeze a league title
1: out of it? Yeah, I, I guess Barcelona are very good at putting that pressure on. Um, it's what, what is it though that you think that Atletico are? missing right now because if you again if you sort of take Griezmann out of that then they're missing another what most people call vital cog in breaking the duopoly of Real Madrid and Barcelona
3: Yeah I think they need to they need to start breaking the sort of the back line of Real Madrid and Barcelona I mean you saw it in this game I mean uh, playing basically 4-4-2 with Griezmann and Costa so far up that there was no way really to get the ball to them and they kind of lack that sort of number 10 player and they never really play with a a role designed for a number ten, but they do lack sometimes that sort of creative midfielder who can who can pick that pass. It seemed that at one point that Koki was going to be that guy. I mean, he played so many assists to Griezmann uh, a couple of years ago, but Koki is now usually playing on the wing because uh, Simeone loves to play this sort of uh, four pivot midfield or four central midfielders, and you kind of have to squeeze them all in somewhere. And and it, there's just not really anyone creative in that sort of attacking midfield role. and you know, it's great having Griezmann and Costa up front. That's that's fantastic. But if you can't get the ball to them at all, as we saw yesterday at the Camp Nou, then then what's the point? It's, it's a great point.
1: Um, and I mean, Dave, if, of course, Griezmann does end up going to Barcelona, then that means that Manchester United may have a chance to get Rakitic. At least that's what the papers are saying. I don't often believe in them, read the papers, uh, read and then believe the papers. Um yeah, would would someone like Rakitic fit well at, at Manchester United just to fuel the uh, rumours a little?
2: Yeah, no, I think, he, I think he would fit in quite well. I think what Rakitic has done at Barcelona is he's been a bit of a shuttler even though he's such a talented midfielder and you saw what he do, did for Sevilla as a number 10. He was the heartbeat of the side, scored goals, grabbed assists. But what he's been at Barcelona is really working hard for Lionel Messi. Messi staying more on the counter-attack. Rakitic arguably playing the Darren Fletcher role for Cristiano Ronaldo at Man United, you know, shuttling out defending well but doing, doing the hard yards and I think we kind of saw that against Atletico yeah he didn't. there's not a highlights reel out there for Rakitic and his performance but he worked very hard so what United need in their midfield is they need somebody that's going to work hard both in attack and defence I think they need someone that can cross Rakitic can cross I think they need someone that's going to be able to retain possession in that final third Rakitic can do that so it kind of makes sense but on the flip side of that is Rakitic past his peak I'd say probably yes I think he peaked in the years, you know, just as at the end of his severe career, then at the start when he was at Barcelona, when Barcelona were so good going forward, you know, with Messi, um, Suarez and and Neymar, Rakitic was the glue. So I think that he's past that, but he'd be a good signing, you know, wouldn't turn him down, to say the least, but is there better alternatives on the market? Probably.
1: Hmm. Yeah, certainly he's interesting. Um, Well, let's move on to the Champions League, where obviously... La Liga is uh, quite heavily implicated this season, um, and the yeah the first of the offerings. You and I come to you on this one. Uh, Paris Saint Germain versus Real Madrid. PSG have quite a mountain to climb against this uh, this Real Madrid side, and uh, like we were referencing earlier, um, it's Ronaldo who sets these these guys apart so far.
3: Yeah, although to pick up on that analogy, if it's a mountain to climb, if I was going on a hill walking trip, there's there's one football I probably wouldn't want to be doing it with, and that's probably Neymar. He'd be a bit of a, bit of a pain and ter- <laughs> terrible chat, terrible stories. He'd be stopping for a drink of water every every few minutes, showing you off his lovely Nike hill walking boots. So falling over. I wonder, I wonder if Neymar's absence in a way makes this a more winnable tie for PSG. And as much as he's he's a best player talent wise, I mean, there's there's no doubt in that. Could, I mean, we've seen how Barcelona have responded over the course of a season with Neymar being out of the group and how that's helped the dynamic. And, and maybe it's different when you're talking about one specific match, one roll of the dice. But they, uh, PSG, they just didn't really seem to to get under Real Madrid's skin in the first leg with that front three. And maybe having one of those players out and being a bit more coherent, another man in midfield, I mean, Di Maria's been so good for them. Maybe, just maybe, that actually makes uh, this a little bit more... Uh, more winnable for them
1: Yeah, it certainly is an interesting one there I mean, uh, Dave, let's talk about Liverpool and Porto as well, while we're on Champions League stuff um, It's an interesting one because Liverpool have set themselves up at least, uh, against the Porto side who almost looked uh, shocked at how Liverpool were playing at times <laughs> um, It was just really unusual as a Liverpool fans to be watching it because I, I was looking and just thinking well, I, I expected more if I'm honest, but I don't know why yeah, I think when, when you get this Liverpool front three, when you get a goal
2: up, I think when you take that lead, they're so dangerous because everything starts to become difficult for you because you're thinking, Mane's running behind, Salah's running behind, what's Firmino doing centrally? Is he drifting? Is he dropping? Is he going to pull us out of position? And I feel like when you've got that goal lead, it means the opponents need to play a little bit higher. They need to squeeze the game. They need to get on the ball, which falls really into the hands of Liverpool. Liverpool's transition this season... Is arguably one of the best I've seen in a long time since maybe Borussia Dortmund back under Klopp, and that is where they're going. And I think that's why it's so exciting for Liverpool fans to see Liverpool at the moment because they're almost becoming that Borussia Dortmund side. They're so very quick, they're very agile. They've got a lot of And Yeah, they lack maybe a few players to complete the side, but going forward in the Champions League, they're very very exciting. I think that's what what sort of Porto got caught out by was the amount of goals that were just you know, going through had the amount of chances that Liverpool created, were high-quality chances. And I think it's credit to Jurgen Klopp, but it's also, you know, the likes of um, Salah, who has just been unbelievable this season. Mm. Unbelievable. And to have someone like that in your side, to play on the counter-attack when you can, is just going to be such a weapon. And I can expect Liverpool really going far in the Champions League this season just because of that, because of that factor on the break. They can get that leader, they can sit deep. You know, the likes of Van Dijk, the likes of Lovren, they're defenders for me that can defend deep, and they can defend deep well, and that's why Liverpool bought them. The problem with those potential players is the weakness when they have the ball, and so forth. When they're breaking teams down, they don't need to do that in the Champions League. They definitely don't need to do that against Porto. They're five nil up. They don't need to overexert themselves. They can play a very calm game. So this tie is obviously already over, but it's going to be interesting to see how much, how many goals Liverpool put away
1: to sort of make a sort of a standpoint. Look, we've just hammered the team ten nil on aggregate. Do you want some? Well, I think you also underestimate Liverpool's ability to capitulate, Dave. That's incredible. Um, Of course, uh, Tottenham versus Juventus is also a fairly key tie as we go into, uh, well, I I say fairly key, it's vital uh, to the the way that Tottenham are developing. It's somewhat of a a proving ground uh, for how far they have actually come, uh, Dave. And this one being back at Wembley, away from Turin, uh, do you think that plays into Spurs' hands or it plays more into the Juventus' idea that they need away goals? I
2: think if you looked at that first leg and how Spurs controlled the game with the ball away from home, now they're playing at home, it's going to be, you know, I think Spurs have got this, this, this sort of tie hands down. The only thing that you can see is if they do nick an early goal like they did in Turin, can Spurs again come back and and control and be calm? And I think they can. I honestly do think, I think this is, as I said before, this is Spurs' season in the the Champions League to go far. I think this Juve team is broken. I think there's too many uh, people that need to be carried in this side. There's not enough workers in the team that they get to expose too easily. And it's it's weird how Allegri had that last season and he had the right ingredients and now he doesn't. And it's weird to see that in less than six months from a team that did so well in the Champions League, got to the final, got beaten in the final, to see them now. It's, it's really weird that this team has almost fallen away so much and I do think that this is Spurs is to lose I think with Dele Alli with Ericsson with with Kane with Human Son their front four at the moment are on fire like Liverpool's front three and that is very sort of scary for a back line from Juve that without Benucci they look like they've lost a bit of calmness of course Benucci was pretty poor at the start of the season he's coming back into the game a bit facing Milan now but they're missing him they really are missing a Benucci character a guy that can carry the ball out the back and be controlled and calm in possession mm. that's what Juve need so I do think it's it's game set match Spurs with this one as well. I'm going to be very ballsy with, both, with all my predictions today.
1: Uh, and you, let's obviously finish with Barcelona's chances in the Champions League. A lot of people saying that Iniesta will be ruled out of this tie uh, due to his injury out there on the pitch. Um, do, do you think that that plays into Chelsea's hands at this point? Or do you think this Barcelona team is going to be too dominant for the likes of a slightly, when I say slightly, um, I mean, very lacklustre Chelsea team on the weekend?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it does play into Chelsea's hands, but whether it's enough for them to be able to to pull off a a win or 3-3 two, two, three, three draw at the Camp Nou, I don't I don't really know. The big problem for Barcelona is obviously Iniesta's position. That's that's kind of why they made the move to get Coutinho in January was you know the the logic is Coutinho plays in La Liga the weekend before and after a Champions League game, and Iniesta is is really fresh and you know old man Andres can still do his thing, but when his hamstrings give way, then you know no amount of Coutinho money in the world can can give you Iniesta on the pitch. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fill that because they, uh, they don't necessarily have players that can play that role. But then again, maybe they can they can sort of set up a little bit differently for this one because they, they're the team in the advantage. And um, as much as you would never see Barcelona sit back and, and counter-attack, this is Ernesto Valverde. And as, as we were sort of saying earlier on, he's he's a pragmatist and he, he does what's, what's necessary. And we could see the way that Barcelona used to play, break with MSN if they can sort of soak up some pressure get it along to Messi and Suarez score another goal and kill off the tie then that's a way to get through this this one match which they'll as you mentioned they probably won't have any yes for
1: sometimes there are points where you wish that you could reset in the Champions League and uh, Coutinho could be playing in these ties because you just think what a, Mm. a bearing he could have on a game like this especially returning to the Premier League would be uh Fantastic for Barcelona, terrible for Liverpool fans such as I. Um, other guys who have crossed over between Liverpool and Barcelona, uh, sometimes directly, sometimes not. Uh, the legend that is uh, Luis Garcia, uh, scoring an incredible goal for Liverpool in the Champions League. And, and Ewan, it's been it's good to have you on this week. Obviously, we, we can plug your new uh, channels, La Liga Lowdown, is where people can find uh, your La Liga lowdown. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that before we hear from Luis Garcia and then uh, move back on to Chelsea.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
3: Yeah, that's dead right. La Liga Lotan is uh, what to search for on Twitter, on YouTube. And um, yeah, the idea is we're going to, we've got people stationed all over Spain and we're going to be bringing content about La Liga. Um, each week whether videos or podcasts and trying to bring uh, big interviews with, with the kind of people who know La Liga best and, and Luis Garcia uh, he, we were lucky enough to have him for our first interview and and he's been great the first part of that interview is already up online and he previewed the Barcelona and Atletico Madrid game and quite miraculously he predicted a 1-0 win for Barcelona with a Messi free kick um, so, um, <laughs> not really no, no. no he really did you can go back and check it on La Liga Lowdown on YouTube um, the first part of this interview went up I think on Friday um, and yeah when asked for his prediction 1-0 Messi if you kick was, was Luis Garcia's prediction which which means whatever he's about to, stay, uh, to say next on on this uh, clip it's worth tuning in for isn't it That's a really good point yeah it's, it's, it is probably worth and Luis Garcia himself is quite an
1: interesting character having passed between so many teams uh, during his career having won the Champions League himself and of course having that experience at the very top level will make him a fascinating interview you can head over to La Liga Lowdown and take a listen to that here is an excerpt from that very interview on the front three
2: Tell us a little bit about what Liverpool was like for tapas bars and Spanish no restaurants. Not much, no
4: much <laughs> I can tell you that. When I arrived to Liverpool, I mean, um, <clears throat> of course you arrive there and you're happy, new culture, uh, is cool. but I remember, I, 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 like if it was uh, yesterday, uh, I remember my first, um, uh, I, 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 I buy an apartment, so I was for two, two weeks more or less in the hotel, so I found an apartment that we, that we rented for, for a few months. And I remember the first day, waking up to go to training, and move the curtains. It was that, you know, rain, little rain that it comes <laughs> all cloudy. Oh, England was,
2: specializes in that. Yeah it, oh, was, yeah, it
4: was August. I mean, I can <laughs> tell you, it was August. So I said, okay, it's, it's one day. Second day, it was two weeks, the same exactly weather. Mm. So I thought, oh, it's going to be tough. <laughs> so city, city was okay, but um, not much to do, not many restaurants, no many. I mean, it was...
2: Who, who found it, it was the toughest okay. out of all of the, the, the group of, of Spanish signers? I, I can tell you, uh, Josemi.
1: Oh, really?
4: Josemi. Yeah, because I end you adapt we, we learned our English it was it wasn't good I, I have to tell you but uh, we we managed to learn a little bit we have a few um, classes and then we move around and at the end you learn a little bit but I remember Josemi was was struggling so much but he used to try to live the same way like in Spain so finish the training go home Have lunch and have a nap Mm. nap of two three hours and then it was four o'clock the day in England at four o'clock is it's over yeah 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 so it was uh, until four o'clock then he couldn't sleep at night until one o'clock and go to train and like this it was one day and another one
1: Luis Garcia there on La Liga Lowdown. Head over to the uh, channel. We'll link everything in the description and you can find the Luis Garcia interview very easily. I know there are a lot of Liverpool fans that listen to this podcast. And even if you're not a Liverpool fan, you might be a fan of La Liga or uh, some of the giants down there. So it's well worth a listen. Um, He's a guy that I'll always take an interest. There are two men who played for Liverpool, maybe three, uh, that I'll always be interested in. Xabi Alonso, uh, Luis Garcia and Pepe Reina. We will always have time for those long distance scousers. Um, Let's move on. We were talking about Chelsea just a few seconds ago and them facing up to the extreme challenge of Barcelona this season. Um, Dave, uh, we, we need to talk a little bit about the result that they got on the weekend. First of all, um, was Conte right about the way that he was playing Man City? It was certainly interesting to see post game. I think he was somewhat joining the dots backwards rather than forwards. He probably didn't go out for a 1-0 win. Uh, 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 won the loss sorry uh, against Man City Uh, but he said he was just trying to reduce the damage that they could do It, it was quite sweet really
2: yeah, it was. It was quite funny. Obviously, last season they they went to City and they 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 smashed them on the counter attack. It was a really really good performance from Chelsea, Pretty well, one of the that? best of the season. Yeah, it was an unbelievable display. I think you know, big parts of that was Diego Costa. But it is interesting to to listen to Conte after the game. Of course, he just just lost one nil, but it's seen as a victory for him. You know, comments after the game. I'm I'm stupid. To, I'm not stupid. I'm not so stupid, sorry, to play open against Manchester City and to lose three nil or four nil. But really, there. Is that what you want to do? You know, do you, are we at a stage now at football where, you know, I know in terms of the the teams at the bottom, they they want to keep the goal difference so relegation isn't a problem. But at the top, you know, losing to a, a team 1-0 instead of pushing a bit further. And it came down to that clip that's been doing the rounds. Uh, all through social media, you must have seen it. If you've not, just Google Chelsea's lack of pressure against City and it was 74 minutes. Classic uh, Google. Know, a classic Google. Google, one of my favourite websites. Yeah. top ten websites in world football. And mm-hmm. um, but now going back to it, seventy four minutes, and you just see um, Zinchenko, David Silva, just popping the ball around, and there's no pressure for Manchester from uh, Chelsea. Sorry, and it's just a really, really weird moment. You're thinking you're one 0 down. Only a goal, a single shot can put you back into this game. Yet there's no real work and application there, in it.
1: Just seems a bit strange whether that was but actually Dave, what Conte wanted. What was unusual, Dave, was it was um, and you you might be able to help us out a little bit in this one. Was it was almost um, it, it, Dave's almost under uh, describing or underplaying uh, how lackadaisical the players looked. It was like it was it was what you'd imagine a training session would be like in extreme heat. Um, it was just a really unusual <laughs> display, wasn't it?
3: Yeah I mean like the one the especially with Fabregas where he just kind of walked over to Silva and and I mean I don't think says Fabregas has ever been that sort of robotic standing next to David Silva ever I'm sure they've taken team photos for the Spain national team and they've been more energetic than they so were in point. the middle of this uh, this football match I mean it was just it is an extremely low press uh, and, and you've seen it before maybe you've seen it maybe not as you mentioned from a team as a, Like a a, well, the reigning champion like Chelsea, but you've seen things like this before where a team's losing 3 0 in its last five minutes and there's no chance. And you know, you think, well, what's the point? And as much as players are supposed to fight to the last win, uh, to the last whistle, there are moments in the game where you know, realistically, what's the point? But as you mentioned, this one, this they're only one goal down, and and Chelsea have everything to fight for, they really need to scrap and scrape every point they can to get back in the Champions League. So it was just, um, yeah, bizarre is the word that was something you've really not seen before
1: yeah I mean Dave they allowed the Man City side to I think set a new passing records it was something like 924 passes they managed to get in Stats. the game um, and it, it, it was there was so little uh, to marvel at I guess and then tactically it was sort of was unusual because Hazard looked so isolated especially after we've seen the impressive form of people like uh, Willian in recent weeks and you know the 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 hard work and the harrying of the fullbacks that you'd always expect from Chelsea. Do you think that this is down to the guy that we were talking about earlier, the 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 lack of a, a, a figurehead striker in Diego Costa?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think it's massive, absolutely massive. You look at Azard's stats for the game: uh, zero shots on target, zero chances created, and I think as an attacker it's one of these things where you want contribution from a from a number nine or, or a false nine as Hazard was playing or you just want contribution from Azard. he's a playmaker in the game he only completed one dribble that is so so poor for a player of Azard. he's you know three minimum and I think that's a big big thing for Chelsea is they, they just didn't have the ball and You want to build a team around the counter-attack like Conte wants to do, but sometimes when you don't have a focal point like Acosta that you can fire the ball into his feet, and he is going to fight like hell to keep it there, then you're further up the pitch, and then you can include someone like Hazard in the game. The problem with playing Hazard as a false nine in a game like this is you kind of want a bit of defensive work rate from your number nine because you need to pressurise in certain areas against Manchester City, whether you're holding back and you're pressurising the defensive midfielder or you're pressing high and you're pressing the center arms. You need that. You're not going to get that from Hazard, which is why it was so strange to see that when the week before, Murata played against Manchester United. Murata had a very good game against Manchester United, was you know unlucky to, to not score early doors. And I just feel, it seems like Conte really, really got it wrong in this game. I don't think there's anywhere for him to hide. And obviously he lost 1-0, but he deserved to have been beaten
1: by by say three say four say five goals mm, yeah well he wasn't um but Pep Guardiola is now <laughs> just one yeah Pep Guardiola is now uh much much closer to an Emily he's just four wins away from that uh realistically you and uh this one's Man City's isn't it to lose I mean even beyond that it's sort of, no one's going to catch them at this point do you think we're looking at uh sort of an era defining club again here
3: yeah I mean the interesting thing is nobody's really been able to to win the Premier League and then to follow up with another good season we've seen Leicester do it but obviously that was a bit different but then we've seen Chelsea do it as well this year and I think it's going to be more interesting than these next four games or the rest of the season it's going to be how are Man City going to play next year I mean they've, got, they've already got one trophy in the bag they're going to get this one as well and um, they're also going to be in the quarterfinals of the Champions League and could do something exciting in that so they're going to have an excellent season no matter, um, well, obviously no matter what happens, but they're going to have had an excellent 2017-18 season. What's going to be really interesting is how do they follow up that up? Because teams in the Premier League have quite quickly been able to to work out how to play against the the reigning champions and how to, um, always one season too late, but they eventually work out how to stop them. I don't know if someone's going to be able to stop this Man City uh, sort of philosophy that Guardiola's introduced. It's just so, um, yeah, just so ruthless.
1: Dave, the likelihood is it won't be uh, either of these men from London, Wenger or Conte, as it seems that neither of them want to be at their respective clubs right now. Um, Or you'd imagine they don't want to be. Maybe they do want to be there, and that's part of it. They're just acting too desperate, Um, and that's why their players aren't performing for them. Um, Obviously, after the the Arsenal display on the weekend, a lot of people were very disappointed with that side. Um, Tactically, did they get it wrong, or is it down to mistakes for this Arsenal side?
2: I think it's contribution of everything. I think that there's there's such a lack of, of balance in this this side. There's, there's a lack of fight. It's the same things over and over again. And when you play someone like a you know Chris Hughton side, that you know they're going to be good from set pieces. You know that they're going to play with a target man. You know certain things. It's it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, I think there is a you know there is a mixture of mistakes and so forth. But you kind of know what Brighton are going to do. And as Arsenal, you do want to deconstruct them. And again, you've got someone like a Granite Xhaka, that completes the most passes for Arsenal. But again, it's like, how many times does he break in lines? How many times is he playing the easy pass? How many times is he switching the play, but taking the momentum out of the move? And I think that is ultimately Arsenal's problem, is that their transfer strategy has been absolutely rubbish for the last three years. I don't necessarily think the last window, I thought the last window was quite good. Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, decent signings, but everything else in there, like your Granit Xhaka. You expect them to be a lot more than what they actually are. It's just confusing and convoluted, and we're going to see more results like this. Uh, I think this is just going to continue with Arsenal Football Club in, until we see a change. And I think that's kind of where Arsenal Football Club are going. It's not about when they're going to move on or progress. It's just about when he's going to leave. And unfortunately for Wenger, seems like you know when Ferguson left Manchester United, they were in a bit of a bad state. You know, losing such a leader, such a Uh, An influence on the football club, and yeah, David Moyes didn't do the job very well. But it seems like uh, Wenger's leaving Arsenal in a really terrible state at the moment. If he continues, the longer he continues, it's it's almost having a massive negative effect on the entire football club, fans included. And it's just a bit of a problem. And they need to make that step. Who's coming in next? What are we doing? What's the philosophy going to be? And how do we sort this mess out?
1: Yeah, I mean that is uh, some people some people putting the theory forward that Wenger is staying longer because he's not sure what's going to happen after he leaves. Um, it's certainly, it, I mean, it's it a theory that could grow legs. Uh, and it definitely makes him look much less selfish than possibly Arsenal fan TV would have you believe. Um, and less, maybe less power hungry. Um, internal politics. So many books about it, but we know so little <laughs> about it. Um, of course, there is another reason why Conte uh, didn't look... Um, so animated this weekend. And obviously there's uh, another side to the whole weekend in football, I think that a lot of people have been addressing. Um, And it's down to David Astori who passed away uh, sadly over the weekend at 31 years old uh, with a two year old baby girl and obviously leaving a wife behind as well. Now his club have decided to pay a lifetime wage for his wife and family, um, which is an incredible gesture. First of all, from Fiorentina um, but it seemed, Dave, to strike Italian football uh, in a way that I i think it would, it would be difficult to understand because it's very rare that something like this happens.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very rare. Obviously, the, the it's just a sad, sad moment for the whole of football. You know, 31 years old, a baby girl, a wife, you know, leaving that all behind, it kind of wakes you up to, to what you have and how, how life is so precious and you should take every moment and enjoy it because... Things like that can happen, you know, going to sleep uh, one night with the team in the team hotel and you wake up the next morning one of your teammates is gone and I think the whole, you know, the tributes, Buffon's tribute was, was emotional and, you know, very good and it spoke about how what a person he was and um, what a genuine human being he was and I think that's what we see that sometimes... Things like life, uh, you know, they pass you by, and moments like this make you appreciate what you've got and and everything around you. And of course, the whole of Syria being suspended is a is a lovely gesture. And of course, there's going to be so much sadness around that. When he was at Cagliari you know, he had such a, a good team around him. A lot of players that play in Syria for a number of different teams. That's affected a lot of people. So There's going to be a lot of sadness, but great move for for Fiorentina to to support his family, uh, his wife, his his child for the the rest of their lives. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a great gesture. And I think it shows the human side of the game again. It's something that sometimes we forget with all the money going around and, you know, the the rubbish with the Qatari World Cup and all this bad stuff around that this game is, is about. Teamwork it's about family and that's the big thing that has got to bring around here and he, he obviously he's going to be missed a, a wonderful centre half and, and Fiorentina captain so it's a very sad weekend for football especially in Italy.
1: Mm. And um, obviously there's another side to this and uh, you know no one wants to politicise this sort of thing. Was it, um, what was the coverage like in uh, Spain? Um, Ewan, because in England there were some people who felt that the coverage wasn't as tasteful as maybe they would have liked it to have been. A few people maybe mistakenly um, you, you'd like to think it would be mistakenly including Manchester Evening News and The Sun uh, you wouldn't want to describe it as clickbaiting but it, it was. Mm. Um, yeah. Was Was there anything uh, w- w- was it covered in the same way in Spain or um, do you think that they, they seem to have a better grasp of how to tone things?
3: Yeah I think generally clickbait isn't quite as as big a thing in Spain so maybe that problem was, was sidestepped for that reason but um yeah there was certainly plenty of coverage um on Sunday and and as much as obviously CVR was was all the games day de- uh, all the day's games were were postponed um yeah we do have to remember i mean football is so interconnected now that there's Italian players and there's obviously former teammates of his in in every league really and yeah. um obviously we started this conversation by talking about how Antonio Conte is is just one such Italian in the Premier League and um obviously it's understandable that you're not going to cancel football all around the world and in every league. Um, but we do have to remember that, uh, yeah, football so interconnected now that maybe, maybe this is um, an issue that has uh, got under some players' skin in other leagues where matches weren't postponed and they did have to continue playing such as, such as at Chelsea and, and beyond.
1: Yeah. It is obviously also something, Dave, that you'd imagine will be at the forefront of some players' minds as you know, obviously a lot of us living a very normal life, uh, players and athletes are often pushing themselves to the very limits and so, you know, I, I don't know the cause of death at this point and I don't want to speculate, but a lot of players you'd imagine, uh, not only do they feel the strain of a short career, but also just the strain on their own bodies, um, will obviously be waking up to the feeling that, that it's not just uh, that's not just an experience which could happen to him, and, you know, no matter how rare it might seem, there have been a lot of people down the years, uh, especially in certain regions of the world, that have suffered from very specific conditions that have struck quite a few players down. Um, and I guess it's a, a wider reminder of um, just the, the health of uh, players being more important than maybe their, their impact out on the pitch sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think that's a big, big thing. You know, whichever cause of death that we, we find out it is, obviously it's very sad. But I think it's about improving the, the medical work behind the scenes, you know, using things like statistics and data to try and improve that. You know, we saw a lot of sort of heart defects coming through. Um, in that was sort of like ten years ago. We had a number of deaths in football, very, very sad events, you know, people potentially moving forward and and, and using that, you know, that tragedy, that sadness to, to prevent that in the future. And I think we've seen a number of players retire within the last say five years that have potentially had heart problems that we've avoided that situation that they're not going to you know we're not going to wake up the next day and they're going to be dead and their family's not going to have a, a leader a father figure should we say or even in, in the women's game you know a mother going and so forth so I think it's it's all about obviously this is a very very sad event but it's about how do we prevent that in the future And I think that's a big big thing for the football clubs of, of the whole world and you know UEFA and FIFA and everyone's get involved and be like okay hey, so how do we how do we help prevent that in the future and that is a big big thing going forward. Um, which you know, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be put on the forefront. And I think you know, waking up as a player, and even if you you didn't know the fellow, and say, let's, like, you played for for Luke and Town or something, it does wake you wake up and you think, you know, could this happen to me? And that's why we need these sort of measures in place to take to take a you know, take away the the, the fear in a way, and that this is going to happen, that we've got the correct people in the correct positions that can avoid these situations.
1: Yeah, certainly so. And um, obviously, very sad events over the weekend, but we. Like Dave said, there's a lot that um, a lot of people that can take heart from the incredible reaction around football uh, to what seemed uh, a really lovely man. And our thoughts uh, are with his family now. Um, thank you very much for joining us on The Front Three this week. It's been fantastic to have you guys. And of course, you and it's been fantastic to have you as well. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: No problem, thanks for having me and we can let the listeners decide who was the who was the third wheel in the end. It's quite
1: fantastically me um, and of course if <laughs> people want to do go over and, and find more of your work then they can find on Twitter we'll link that in the description below we'll also link all of your uh, newest work out there and uh, people can go find it obviously La Liga Lowdown is well worth a look and if you're a fan of Luis Garcia like I am uh, then the the interview is well worth a listen and a watch as well um, and Dave, uh, you've obviously got your new office.
2: Oh, new no bloody office. There's not much there, to be honest, at the moment. We've got no internet, no desks, no nothing, but we're we'll hopefully working progress, going to get some stuff together. The big thing we've got to do at the moment is like soundproofing. I've never had this problem in life. I've never had to properly soundproof something, but we've got a really big echo at the moment. So if anyone wants to tweet me or at the front free of how to save the soundproofing, just hashtag it.
1: Uh, excellent, uh, fantastic idea. At least, um, anyway, uh, soundproofing—the the biggest bane of anyone's life, it seems. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, go subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a review there, and we'll see you later on in the week with the usual Q and A that we're doing. Um, have a fantastic week, and we'll see you again then. A-cast
3: powers the world's best
0: podcasts.